0: From his tiny cell, the gifted artist put pencil to paper to pass
1: the time. Valentino Dixon spent 27 years in prison after being wrongfully convicted of murder.
0: I could listen to this a lot longer because it's the most extraordinary story. He was finally exonerated thanks in large part to a remarkable skill and some colored pencils. Valentino Dixon and Tiger Woods were shoulder to shoulder.
1: Valentino Dixon nominated for two Emmys and a gold medal recipient from the Vatican.
0: The greatest golfer of all time, Jack Nicklaus. I have Great respect for, 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 for Nelson Mandela. <laughs> I love
1: for you. Wow, That's, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah.
0: He's been commissioned to be the official artist of the Jack Nicholas golf course designs in Buffalo.
1: Gather all of these images. And I'm going to play with it in my brain, and I'm going to start working things.
0: Last month, former First Lady Michelle Obama bought Dixon's drawing of the 12th hole of the Augusta National Golf Club as a Christmas present for former President Barack Obama. Obama's post about Dixon's art and his backstory went viral. He's at Augusta National, getting golf lessons from eight-time major championship winner Tom Watson. Featured in four issues of Golf Digest and appeared on In Play with Jimmy Roberts.
1: I'm on my way in the Encore building to do a podcast, and they surprised me. They did a golf ball with my name on it, Valentino Dixon. And Encore is a company that makes golf balls, revolutionary golf balls. Even though I'm not much of a golfer, you know, it's a special thing for me to have an Encore ball and to be a part of this company.
0: Going on, Team Encore. We've got an exciting guest here today on our podcast, Valentino Dixon, world renowned artist. Just an incredible story. Um, for those of you that don't know, Valentino spent 27 years of his life in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Um, he's from Buffalo, New York. Encore Golf is based out of Buffalo, New York. And when I heard about the story um, and realized Valentino was in Buffalo, I reached out to him, cold called him and just said, hey, Valentino, we're, we're a golf ball company. We're in Buffalo. Your story is incredibly inspiring. Um, would love to connect. And, and that's how we're here sitting, sitting today. So, Valentino, welcome. Welcome to the Encore Golf Podcast. Thanks for having me, Steve. So tell us about what life, life was like growing up as a kid in Buffalo.
1: Well, I grew up in inner city, you know, and you know, in inner city is not um, easy. Okay, it's a lot of challenges and that, uh, you know, a young black kid faces in the city, you know, and if you don't make the right choices, you could either find yourself dead or in prison, and that was just my reality. Sure. You know, and as a kid, what mm-hmm. what
0: were your dreams and uh-huh. what, what did you, you know, well, aspire to grow I up
1: to be? I played football every day. Okay. Okay, and I wanted to be a wide receiver in the NFL. Okay. I was pretty good, and... I also love to draw. I started drawing when I was about, about four years old, and my grammar school art teacher noticed my talent, and she really took to me, Mrs. Uh, Charlotte Ross, wonderful woman. And she eventually got me to performing arts in the seventh grade, where I went all the way to senior year you know, for artwork. But that's what I love to do, football and draw. And
0: so... I know you kind of, mm-hmm. art went away for a while. Um, yeah. You know, tell us, tell us about kind of how, how mm-hmm. you ended up, you know, wrongfully mm-hmm. okay. in prison and, and how that
1: all came about for our listeners right. that may not know your story. Okay. Well, after high school, I made some bad decisions, you know, start, started hanging out in the streets, hanging out with the wrong crowd, and, um, you know, found myself in trouble with the law a few times, okay? In August 10th, 1991, I was hanging out with friends and family members. And it was about a ninety a ninety person crowd at Louis' restaurants, and uh, some guys pulled up and started shooting. And a friend of mine returned fire, you know. And I ran to my car and took off, you know. And everybody kind of scattered, and these guys that started shooting actually shot a, a, a friend of mine. Okay, and I was. Um, Pulled over and taken into questioning, you know, which I did not deny deny that I was there at the scene of the crime and as well 90 other people. So I thought things were going to be cleared up. But being that I was out on bail, you know, it was just not a good look, you know, and the police charged me with murder, attempted murder and assault. And I still thought it would get cleared up, you know. Well, long story short, I could not afford a, a good attorney, and I had to go with a public defender. And within two days, eight people came forward to clear me of the crime, and my friend that committed the crime turned himself in to the police and confessed and explained what happened. Well, he was told to leave the police station, and the witnesses were disregarded. Ten months later, I found myself going to trial with a public defender, who did not call any of the witnesses to the stand and did not present the confession to the jury. The jury never even knew another person confessed to this crime. And the lawyer at the time, he felt that there was no evidence and that we didn't need to call any witnesses. And I was 21 years at the time, but I knew that it was wrong. I knew I needed I needed the defense and I needed somebody to come in here to clear me. And I complained to the judge about this. You know, and I was told to remain quiet, that I was disruption destruction in the courtroom. And which I did, I remained quiet. And the jury came back and found me guilty. And I was given a 39 year prison sentence. And I found myself in Attica Correctional Facility. And so
0: tell us about kind of how you adjusted to life. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, you over the years you, you studied, you learned mm-hmm. law, you, you know, you mm-hmm. read 800 books, mm-hmm. um, close to 800. Yeah. About 750. And you had, you had, you had <laughs> stopped drawing for a while. Right. Well, and kind of, you know, obviously, um, you know, I, I can only imagine the amount of the emotions and just mm-hmm. things you had to work through with everything going on. But tell us a yeah. little bit about what life was like in there and, and how you kind of
1: managed day to day. Okay. Well, I I stopped drawing for ten years, okay. After high school, I stopped drawing, and then I went to prison. I got arrested at twenty one, so that's three years. And I went to the prison. I didn't draw for the first seven years, so that's a ten year gap of not drawing, no artwork, no painting, no nothing, okay. And my uncle Ronnie, he says, "Hey, all my appeals have been denied. After seven years, all my appeals denied." He says, hey, you may have to draw yourself out of prison. And I'm like, what the hell is you talking about? You know. And he sent me some colored pencils and some paper. And I tossed it to the side, and it collected some dust. And I would call him once a month. And he says, hey, you started drawing yet? I says, no, nah, I didn't start drawing yet. He says, hey, you may have to draw yourself out of prison. If you, if you can reclaim your talent, you can reclaim your life. Wow, he gave me something to think about, you know. I had become an avid reader, you know, so I wasn't just, you know, wasting my days, you know. And I was always the type of kid that wanted to learn about everything. So I read everything from real estate to self-help, autobiographies, history, you know, finance, just name it, I read it, you know. And I wanted to take the time to equip myself, okay, okay. Now, here comes this idea for me to start drawing again. And when he said, you, you may have to draw yourself out of prison, it started to resonate, okay? And I was not even sure if I still had the talent. But I took a chance and I drew a rose. And when I drew this rose, the o- other inmates who knew me for years said, you know how to draw? So it was kind of embarrassing, you know? And... I said, yeah, I know how to, I think I know how to draw. I said, oh, you're a wonderful artist. Wow, this is, this is cool. You know, so that kind of gave me a push to keep going. And I started drawing every day and it never stopped. And I would draw up to 10 hours a day, you know, and then read another three hours, then go work out for an hour. So that was my whole day. My whole days was taken up, you know, and I did this for the last 20 years of prison, never taking a day off, okay? But but after 20 years, the prison warden came to me, and he says, hey, Valentino, because I was known as the artist in Attica by then. Everybody knew me. The, the warden would walk by and see me drawing. He said, you think you can draw my favorite golf hole? And I'm like, I don't know, warden. I'm from the inner city. I never golfed before, you know? You know where I'm from. We both started laughing. But I knew I could draw the picture. I said, whatever it is, bring it in. So he brought me in the 12th hole of Augusta. What is Augusta? What is the 12th hole of Augusta? I have no clue. Okay. But it seems interesting. It has this bridge. You know, it has these flowers. You know, it's different than your ordinary golf course. It has character to it as far as I'm concerned. You know. And I drew it for him. He loved it. And this is the picture right here. This is a copy you know, of the 12-hole. First golf drawing. First one. Okay, first one. And he loved it. He took it home. He made me a copy. And so I was done with golf. I mean, I'm in, this is a world that I know nothing about. And my neighbor, Adam Roberts, he was a pretty smart guy who attended Syracuse University. Okay? He says, hey, Valentino, you might... You know, need to draw, you know, some more golf holes. I said, Adam, what the hell are you talking about? What am I going to draw golf holes for? He says, you know, it doesn't hurt to put together a collection, some type of collection, you know. It could be helpful to have a collection. So I says, well, hmm, I don't know, Adam. So he came and tossed some Golf Digest magazines on my bed maybe a week later, old issues. He said, the guy upstairs, he gets the Golf Digest every month. He has a ton of old issues. You know, so I told him about you drawing a warden's golf hole and he sent these down. So, you know what? About maybe four or five days later, I started looking through the, the issues. I said, you know what? Maybe I might find something here that's interesting, that's worth drawing. And I believe I came across Pebble Beach. All right. It had a lot of character to it and it was right on the ocean. Okay, so I drew Pebble Beach. The other inmates are coming by. I don't know what they're going to think. I'm thinking that they're not going to be too keen on me drawing golf courses. They're used to me drawing either abstract art, African art, animals, things like that. You know, guys in prison, what could they know about the world of golf? You know, you just think that, you know, these people come from a different um, environment that does not equal to golf. (laughs) You know, and I I hate to say that, but that's 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 my reality. Sure. You know, but surprisingly, the guys in prison love the golf drawings. And I'm like, wow, these guys. Have you ever golfed? No, I never golfed before. But I love that picture. You know what I'm saying? Wow. And so if this non golfer loves this picture, the golfers have to love this picture. Eventually they have they see this. They have to love it. So I started drawing golf courses every single day. Every day I was doing a different golf. Well, maybe every other day I was doing a different golf course. So I started drawing golf courses every day. And I just went everywhere. You know, I went every any golf course that I thought had character, I was drawing it. Okay. And after I had about 40 drawings, 40 different golf courses. I started reading the columns in the Golf Digest magazine with Golf, with, uh, golf Saved My Life by Max Adler. Okay, And each month, Max would cover a story of some type of challenge that someone was going through. And the only time they felt good is when they golfed. One guy had been in the Iraqi war. He lost his arm. And he said the only time his spirit felt alive is when he golfed. So I started to correlate that with my situation. I had 20 years in prison, you know, and I felt like golf was giving me a new lease on life. It was strange. You know, I never golf, but here I am drawing this golf course, and I felt like I was in this peaceful place. And so I eventually went from this size, and I moved up to that size right there to a 20 by 30. Okay. It's gorgeous. Yeah, and that right there is the 13th hole of Augusta. Why Augusta? Because Augusta has so many pretty, beautiful landscapes, you know, the the brown dirt, the flowers, the trees. There's always some type of little bridge basically going through parts of Augusta. And so I decided to write a four-page letter to the Golf Digest and explain what happened to me, okay, and that I was in prison, a black kid from the inner city that never golf. I'm in prison drawing golf courses. I sent him one of the drawings. He was so taken by the story that he asked to see my trial transcripts. I explained to him that I was innocent. And once Max read my trial transcripts, he concluded like anybody else would have that I didn't commit this crime. And he told me that he was going to write about this. And in July 2012, I came out three-page article on the Golf Digest magazine which got the attention of the Golf Channel. And they did a short documentary which was nominated for Emmy Award, which got the attention of Associated Press and news outlets all over the country, which eventually got the attention of Georgetown University, who I worked with for six months, the undergrad students, three undergrad students. And we discovered a Brady violation that the prosecutor committed in the sense that when I was arrested, my car and my clothes was taken in for evidence to see if I fired a weapon. Well, anyway, once these items were tested, they were never turned over. And ultimately, this is what freed me. You know, the students did a documentary and the prosecutor actually admitted that the evidence came back negative, but he never turned it over. And never disclosed. So, yeah, never disclosed the, um, the evidence. And ultimately, this is what cleared me. So, in prison, you you had a
0: reputation of mm-hmm. of helping out fellow mm-hmm. prisoners. They'd come to you yeah. for advice. How how <laughs> yeah. did that come about? I think yeah. I've, I've heard you say yeah. you you were the Doctor Phil of
1: yeah. Well, they the call addict. me the Black Doctor Phil. Doctor Phil. Okay. okay. Because, as I said, Steve, I read everything, man. I, you know, anything that could help uplift a person, I was reading it. And prison is a place that's designed to break your spirit. Very depressing. You know, it can be a very, you know, you know, dangerous place. You know, people are on edge all the time. You know, um, different personalities clash. You know, guys are going through different things and they would come to me, you know, with family issues, you know, legal issues, uh, everyday prison issues, you know, and Because prison is such a violent place, I had a model that 99 percent of the time, these issues can be resolved without violence. Okay, so whenever I became aware of a situation within the prison, I took a chance, even though I had all of these drawings around me, I took a chance to go to try to resolve the issue. Okay, even some of the prison guards came to me with, you know, with family uh, issues. Yeah. And. You know, spousal issues. I read books on relationships, all kind of stuff like that, you know. So, you know, you throw a scenario up at me, a situation and, you know, and I'm going to give you my best um, solution, you know. And, and usually, you know, I make sure that it's a good solution, that it's just not something that I don't have any proof to support it. Sure. OK, you don't want to give somebody bad information, you know, Uh but yeah, they called me the Black Doctor Phil, and which is why, you know, I would be drawing and talking almost all day long. So if I'm drawing for ten hours, I got inmates coming to my cell. It'd be five guys lined up, one guy as I'm talking to, and these other four is waiting. Yeah, it was crazy, a crazy scene, and and this came with you know me being in prison so long, you know. I didn't, of course I didn't have this type of influence early on. I was. You know, nobody that nobody I wasn't I was not a person that nobody wanted to come to for advice, you know, but because of my studies and, you know, where my mind took me, you know, people begin to recognize that, you know, he's not only practical, but, you know, his solution and his conclusion here is a good one for us. So let's trust his judgment, you know, that type of thing. But, you know. This is what prompted me to come out with the Draw and Talk With Me show, you know, because I I watched Bob Ross paint, you know, on PBS and because I was drawing and talking. I said, you know, what, I want to do a draw and talk show. I want to bring people on my show, teach them how to draw and let's talk about a real life issue. You know, I've had athletes on my show, pro athletes, three Hall of Famers, you know, a heart doctor, school kids, teachers, 20 people that has Parkinson's disease. You know, a, a Buffalo police officer, you know, the list goes on a homeless person. How does this person become homeless? This person has a story here, you know, and it's important to try to learn about the things that we don't know about. So how did you
0: get to that place where you could forgive mm. people who, who, you right. know, did wrong by you right. and come out and, and make
1: such a huge success of yourself? Well, The Bible tells us that God forgives us. So who am I not to forgive the person that wrongs me? Okay, and I'm a healthy guy. I made it out of there. I'm going to be grateful for that. You know, when I was in prison, I paid attention that what was going on in the world. You hear about horrific things happening every day, whether it's a car accident, a fire, a 10 year old kid losing their life to cancer. Okay, I'm a 51 year old guy. I want to be grateful and thankful that I made it to 51 years old. You know, most people look at me and they say, this guy, he didn't do a day in prison. How did he do 27 years in prison? Impossible. You know, and that's just another blessing from from
0: our creator. Well, I'm watching one of your videos, um, one of your interviews and, mm-hmm. and someone commented that, mm-hmm. you know, you looked so young and youthful. And they right. said, God,
1: God blessed him with two lives. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, sometimes God can bless us with ten lives, you know, because life is a a progressive thing, all right? And I would like to think I'm always constantly reinventing myself. Okay. What is it what is it I haven't done? What is it I need to do? What is it I need to avoid? Okay. What do I want to do in the next year or accomplish in the next five years? Okay. And but it's all about getting better and then helping others get better.
0: What would you say the next chapter mm-hmm. for Valentina
1: Dixon is? Well, the next chapter is... Well, for me, is my book will be coming out hopefully in about six months. You know, The Soul of an Unfreed Man. I'll get a Netflix deal. Nice. Okay, for my Draw and Talk with Me show. A documentary will be released and a movie. I'm talking with two filmmakers right now. But most importantly... How do I make the world a better place? How do I take this success and help those in need? Okay. And this is the type of legacy that I want to leave. Mm-hmm. And for, for
0: our listeners, mm-hmm. Team Encore, mm-hmm. how can we help? Mm-hmm. How, how can audience members mm-hmm. that, that are moved by your story
1: okay. help? Well, what you can get from me and take from me is that to never give up. No matter what you're going through, we're all going to be tested with something. We don't get to decide the test. Mine was 27 years of wrongful imprisonment. Yours may be a death in the family, may be an illness that you're going to have to battle through. Okay, but just know that if you hang in there and if you stay strong and you stay positive, that things are going to turn out great for you. And how you can help is donate to my prison reform foundation, the Valentino Uh, dixon foundation which helps to stop wrongful convictions and also to help these inner city kids stay out of trouble to provide programs for these kids they don't have anything okay and i want to build a community center a learning center on the east side my neighborhood there's nothing there for these kids and you know anybody that sees this hey get in touch with me and possibly help me uh raise some money you know for we can make these things a reality Thank you for joining us, Valentino. Appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Thank you.